0: This episode of From the Desk of Alicia Kennedy is brought to you by Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide by Cecily Wong and Dylan Thuris from Workman Publishing. Tour each continent through the book's encyclopedic entries on some of the world's most interesting foods and places. Did you know that in Puerto Rico, the rice that sticks to the bottom of the pot is called pigau, and it takes years of practice to make it well? Learn about this and more in Gastro Obscura, a food adventurer's guide, on sale now. Melissa thank you so much for being here thanks for having me (laughs) I'm excited to talk to you I really am a fan oh well mutual
1: but um can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate I grew up in Brooklyn Brooklyn New York and um we we ate a lot of different things my parents were big uh foodies they were Julia Child disciples in the 70s so we ate a lot of French food um but we really, we ate, I mean, we took advantage of Brooklyn. Even back then, Brooklyn was a, just a, um, it was a, a melting pot. There was so much that you could eat. Um, and so we did. We ate Jewish food because I grew up Jewish. We ate, you know, um, bagels and lox. We ate um, appetizing, sour pickles, Russian food from Brighton Beach, um, we ate, there was Brooklyn Chinatown, which was just happening. And we ate, we went there all the time. Um, and also to Manhattan Chinatown and we got dim sum was a big part of my childhood. We went for dim sum, like at least once or twice a month um, at 8 o'clock in the morning because you had to get there early to get the good stuff. You know, you didn't want the chicken feet to be gone. Right. Um, we ate, you know, DeFara's pizza, you know, um, a lot of Italian food also was part of my upbringing. Um, my mother grew up on a block in Brooklyn that was Jewish on one side and Italian on the other. And so that was a big part of her childhood. And so she brought that into to my childhood as well. Um, we ate, um, Caribbean food, Brooklyn also around where I grew up in Flatbush had a, has a, um, still growing Caribbean population. And that was a huge part. Um, I always, uh, I had a lot of Caribbean babysitters when I was a kid, you know, who'd come meet me after school. Um, and so, um, there was a lot of, they would cook, you know, just these wonderful spicy dishes that I remember, um, and, amazing coconut, like, you know, just these like coconut little sugary pastries that I loved. Um, (laughs) Gosh, so what else did I eat? I mean, I would try anything. Um, I mean, I remember trying sushi when I was 12 and it was not a thing back then because this was a long time ago. And it was like, oh, wow, uni with quail egg. And it was delicious. (laughs) I love that. Um, It's so
0: interesting to hear how you know, how much food was in your childhood, how important it was. When did you make the choice for food to be kind of the focus of your, your life, your career?
1: Well, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. That was, that came first. That came Mm -hmm. at a young age. I wrote stories. Um, I, for a while, I thought I was going to write about history. I wrote I mean, I just had these obsessions. I would want to write about the thing I was obsessed with, but the thing that kept coming back was food. And no matter Mm -hmm. how I tried to tell a story, my central metaphor was food. It was my lens. It was the way Mm -hmm. I interpreted everything in the world. Um, And I found, I mean, I think a lot of, food writers um of my age will say we found mfk fisher we're like oh here's a calf and that happened to me i mean i remember reading the gastronomical me and i i thought well wow this woman is taking food seriously in a way that wasn't um just recipe writing although there was recipe writing in that but there was also um you know there was there was culture and emotion, human emotion and connection. And that was a part that really interested me. And when I, and I also, I mean, I'm a big, I, I love reading novels. I'm a big, I read a lot of 19th century novels and I love the way that, um, I mean, I love to understand the connection between people. And to me, so much of that happens at the table and so much of that yeah. happens around food. Yeah. And how did you kind of make it
0: happen um especially because you do occupy like a space where you do you do journalism you do food writing but you're also doing recipes which is the kind of i guess the classic
1: food writer model but you know how did that come about for you um i was really lucky it was uh, you know so much of life is chance right it's yeah. like who you know and where you are and so it was who i knew who i knew and where i was and mm-hmm. i um, I was lucky enough to work as an assistant for um, a man named Rick Flast, who was at that point the science editor of the, the New York Times. He edited the science section, but he was also doing some stuff with the food. There was a new section that he was developing called Dining In, Dining Out, um, and I, I was his assistant. And so um, he, um, I helped him write a cookbook. For, um, he was working on Pierre Frenet's cookbook. Pierre Frenet used to have a column in the Times called The 60-Minute Gourmet. And um, Rick was working with Pierre and I helped him, you know, edit the recipes and, you know, do all the, um, I helped him with the testing. Um, I helped him just with the research, all that kind of, right. and that, through that connection, I was able to um, learn about how to put together a cookbook, but I was also able to look, you know, have a foot in at the, at the times, which of course, you know, is invaluable. Um, and I did that. That was, I had my first article. So, and I've been going since.
0: (laughs) And you have, you've worked on so many cookbooks, both with chefs and, you know, as the author yourself, Um, you know, what is, you know, your process for working on a cookbook versus working as a staff writer? You know, what is your workflow like when you're working on a book?
1: They're really different, and sometimes it's hard to juggle it all because you get in one mindset, and it's like, okay, I'm in cookbook mode. But wait, I have to interview, you know, a bunch of people, and I got to get on the phone. And um, so, the hardest thing for me is is balancing my time and getting everything done. I'm a um, a keeper of lists to try to you know remember. (laughs) Um, But when I'm, you know, I have kitchen days and I have writing days, and that's how I balance it. So the days, I mean, and it's not just cookbooks; it's developing my recipes for my column. Um, And developing other recipes for the paper. And so on my kitchen days, I try not to distract myself with the journalism stuff. Right. And on writing days, that's when I'm on the phone. That's when I'm calling my sources. That's when I'm actually sitting down and, you know, making myself write, which is, as we all know, the hardest thing. (laughs) And I just try to divide and conquer and keep the days separate. So that's how the workflow goes. Um, But I do find myself using, I mean, my brain goes back and forth, right? So it's like, I'm, I'm thinking about when I'm talking to sources, maybe I'm also thinking about, you know, like maybe something they say will trigger something about a recipe and I'll come up with an idea. And when I'm in the kitchen cooking, you know, my mind is buzzing and maybe I'm thinking about an article that I'm writing at the same time.
0: Right. Well, how do you keep inspired in, in recipe development? I, I, that's a question I'm asking everyone because I think I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, how do you keep it going for so long?
1: <laughs> I mean, I just want to eat everything. I want to try yeah. everything. And so if I'm lucky enough, you know, the pandemic's. The, I have to say it was hard during the pandemic to get inspiration because I wasn't out and about the way I like to be, you know, it was like just me in my kitchen and my family, um, and so I read a lot. I mean, I always read, mm-hmm. a, lot. I always read yeah. a lot. I mean, I will get inspired from all kinds of things. I'll get yeah. inspired, you know, so going out in the world and eating at restaurants and eating people's food is a big part of yeah. it and trying different things. Like if I see something on a menu that I've never had before, that's the dish I'm going to order. It's like, right. okay, I got to try this you know, <laughs> um, even if it doesn't necessarily appeal to me, but it's the thing I haven't had. Um, and maybe I'll like it. And I, <laughs> I mean, I actually have a pretty broad palette. I like a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's that. And then um, reading, just, you know, I'll read menus. I love to read menus. Um, I read books, of course, you know, and I'm always, okay. whenever there's a food scene in a novel, I'm like, oh, you know, well, what did they meet? What, how did they prepare that? I just read Romola, which is George Eliot, but it's about, it takes place in, you know, 16th century um. Florence, right? So Renaissance Florence. And there was, there's not a lot of food in that book, but there was one scene and I'm like, well, how did they do the pheasants then? (laughs) So then I have to go down the research hall, which is super fun for me.
0: And, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in doing cookbooks with restaurant chefs that, you know, maybe make that flow into your, into your work for home cooks? Um, You know, what, basically what can home cooks learn from, the work you've done with restaurants and, and chefs?
1: Well, that is actually, a, that was at the beginning of my career. That was a huge focus for me. Yeah. Um, right now I don't write cookbooks with chefs. I yeah. haven't done that since I went on staff in 2012 because it's a conflict of interest at the time. Right. Um, I miss it. I miss <laughs> writing about those chefs because I learned so much. Um, and I mean, it's like you're entering someone else's entire world. You know, you're, it's not just their dishes, it's their whole world. Right. And That kind of connection is so valuable. You're spending months with them. And it's not just what they cook in the restaurant, but what their mother cooked, right? Right, And what they grew up eating and all of those influences. And it's all there in their perspective. And the best, the thing that I learned that I treasure the most is it really, I learned that every chef does it differently. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, I think- a lot of us, I mean, not anymore, that's, this is changing, thank God, but certainly when I was, you know, coming up in the food writing world, there was this idea that there, like, there was one kind of technique, like, you know, like, oh, this is how you chop an onion, and this is how you do the garlic, and, and that was the thing you had to learn, but that's not what chefs do, they all do it differently, some chefs like to chop onions one way, and some like to chop another way, and slice, sometimes they slice root to, you know, stem, and sometimes they slice across, and get half moons, and, and, (laughs) they have reasons for it. It's not random. It's like there they have, I mean, sometimes the reasons aren't good reasons, but they have their (laughs) reasons and it's like understanding why they do it that way. And then, so it gives me license, first of all, to feel like I can have my own way to do it in the kitchen. And I try, and that is the one thing I try to get across to people. And so I try to take what chefs do and then translate it and show what they do. And also give home cooks license to do it their way. You know, I have a lot of emails from people who say who want to change it and they're worried and I just want people to cook the way it tastes good to them and any way that I can show them the reasons behind things and explain it then that's you know if I can help someone get something delicious to serve to themselves and their loved ones that's like that makes me happy and that's the aim and that's and chefs help learning from chefs is one way that I can you know help that right get that
0: well Well, you know, one, one realm of cooking that people are especially afraid of is baking. And I wanted to ask because it's one of my favorite cookbooks of all time. The last course with Claudia Fleming, you know, that you, you, you worked on that with her. Um, How did that come about? What was that? Uh, And were you surprised that it kind of had a cult classic status?
1: Uh, Yeah, totally. (laughs) I mean, I was a book that's going to take off, right? Of course. Um, So but I wasn't surprised just because Claudia is a genius. And right, I right. feel like her recipes are so smart and she's so yeah. smart. Um, and I um, got that cookbook because we used to have a column at the New York times um, in the, when it was a dining section that was called the chef. And, and this was so perfect for me because I love, this is what I love to do. I <laughs> and work with a chef and it was eight recipes. So it was eight weeks and you wrote in their voice about the recipe. And then you gave the recipe and you would test it. And I worked with Claudia and she and I just hit it off. We were just like soulmates. You know, we loved (laughs) so much of the same things. We became good friends and she was working on a book and she had another writer kind of who they were, they were working on this book together, but luckily the other writer was kind of busy with her stuff. So I kind of, and I got in there and I was like, well, (laughs) we can't do it. Can I do it? I really want to do it. And it just, it just worked out. Um, and, uh, Claudia was a taskmaster in a very good way. You know, she made me, um, but with most chefs, like I go, I work in their kitchen and then I go home and I test the recipe, right? right? But Claudia made me bring in everything I tested to her to try. So I remember I was like, (laughs) right. I was like taking the subway to Gramercy Tavern, you know, with like my pot de creme and my, you know, and that was great. I mean, well, and plus it was so fun to work with her. So of course, sometimes she yeah. would come to my house and test too. But we did so much of it hands on. But that has informed the way I write cookbooks because right now when I do my cookbooks, I make sure if I, ha- I have recipe testers and they do it in my house. Oh, because wow. I need to like and I got that from Claudia because I can really see like what one person thinks is tastes right isn't necessarily what I'm looking for. Not to say it's wrong because it's not exactly wrong, but, like, I'm trying to give my vision, you know. And of course when I was working with chefs, I was trying to help them get their vision across. And then you at home do what you want with it, but at yeah. least like you have a sense <laughs> of what it's supposed to be or not supposed to be. That's wrong. But, like, what I have in mind.
0: Of course, yeah. And you know, you do write recipes for such a huge audience, which I think seems to me very daunting <laughs> to, to, to do and you know but how has have you seen your kind of recipe development work change over time what have been the changes you've made to your own approach and you know have there been changes you've you've adapted to kind of happening in the culture in the world you know how, how have you changed
1: over time oh god you know i'm changing all the time um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't stand still, and people change, and taste change. Tastes mm-hmm. change a lot. Like I look at some yeah. of my old recipes, and I'm like, "What was I thinking?" You know, <laughs> I wouldn't even make that now. Um, and it's important to to change with the times. Yeah. Uh, a lo- so I used to write recipes, and I would have my one of my best friends' voices in my head. My friend Robin. I always say she was my muse because she's a really great cook, but not confident. And so a lot of what I did was like try to instill confidence in the way I wrote recipes and I still do that. But I think I also maybe took a little bit too much for granted. Like I I assumed a knowledge that not everybody has. So I've tried to become without being like didactic about it, but just kind of give it a little more visual cues, a little Mm -hmm. more. And a lot of, um, the way that I keep changing the way I write recipes is I read the notes on the New York Times recipes. Every recipe that I publish, I read the notes because I want to understand what works for people and what doesn't, what they misunderstood and what I did made. And if they misunderstood it, it's my fault for not making it clear enough. I mean- mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it's just, they read it wrong, but you know you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I have to try to like understand where my audience is at. And I, it's like, how do you know your audience? Like the people right. who write to you and then through these notes. So I'm constantly changing what I'm doing and recalibrating and figuring out the best way to get the, that, that exact color of onion across like what do I mean like what is what is brown caramelized lightly golden what does that mean and how do I get there and how do I help people get it to the exact right point point? and when do they add salt and, and another thing I just started really doing is putting in points at, in the recipe where you taste because people have to be reminded. I mean, I don't, I have my fingers and everything all the time, but (laughs) I think people have to be reminded to taste and then do you like it? Do you not, if not, here's what to add. And so that's another way that I'm constantly changing.
0: Right. And, you know, you've also done some reporting on sustainable seafood and, you know, how have you made adjustments to your recipe work to give people kind of an eye toward eating more sustainably if you have?
1: Oh, I have. Absolutely. I yeah. think about that a lot. Like I don't do beef recipes that much anymore. Very rarely or lamb. Um, cause I don't eat that as I'm, you know, yeah. I'm trying to change my diet. I eat a lot less meat. Um, I have actually, I have a cookbook coming out in March where every single recipe has a vegan or vegetarian oh, nice. variation, except for ones like, you know, like pork chops, like, all yeah. right, don't <laughs> make that recipe, but every recipe could do that. Yeah. I did. Because that's how I want to eat. That's how I think a lot of people want to eat. And I want to help people. I want to help flexitarians move a little (laughs) bit more toward the veg if I can. Um, And in in terms of sustainability and also seafood, like I try not to do salmon recipes, you know, it's hard to get really, I mean, you can get sustainable salmon, but it's, you know, there's a, there's a sea there's a crisis with our oceans right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm desperately trying to get seafood lovers to eat more shellfish, more bivalves, Mm -hmm. because that is actually a sustainable option. I write about that a lot. And, um, you know, it's funny. It's like, you have the small number of people who really love their bivalves and then the larger number of people who are a little bit freaked out by it. So, (laughs) I'm just trying to nudge people in that direction. Um, And it all reflects, you know, the things I really care. I mean, I really, I I really think the environment is our number one impending crisis and we can help food writers can help. We can make a difference. Maybe it's not a huge difference, but I know that the work I do can be important in that way. And I'm trying to make sure that, you know, in a gentle way, not a preachy way, I I want people to have fun in the kitchen and enjoy So that's kind of where I'm, I'm trying to just push it a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, I love bivalves. So (laughs) even though I'm vegetarian, um, yeah, I I eat oysters and mussels and everything, but it's hard to explain to people that, that it's like, well, you know, not only do they not have a nervous system, they are a very sustainable choice. It goes completely along with the idea of you know, eating for the environment and eating sustainably. And obviously they're so good for you too, which is a bonus.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, but I'd love to hear you say, I didn't know that you, I I guess I didn't think that you did. And I'm happy to hear that because I feel like- I feel like labels about the way people are eating, you know, vegan, vegetarian, flexitarian. I just feel like it has to be flexible and it has to be, it has to be um, work for also for your body. Like some people like can't need the certain amount of protein or meat or in a different way. And you just need to pay attention to the environment, pay attention to your body. And then also, you know, Mm -hmm. Enjoy everything. <laughs> well, yeah, I was a strict vegan for a while and I didn't eat any
0: of that. And then uh, oysters really opened me up to getting back to that um and making it part of my my diet. But and yesterday I was at a restaurant here in San Juan where they were serving a lionfish ceviche because the lionfish is invasive, right. invasive, yeah. yeah. And you gotta yeah.
1: eat that. exactly, and that <laughs> kind of eating is so important and amazing, right. and yay for that restaurant for having it on their <laughs> menu no it's it, just it, I, like salmon and tuna
0: exactly no it's really cool because they're also they're educating everyone who comes in about the lionfish that are destroying the reefs and why you should okay. eat it of course for me I'm still like a not I it's hard for me to eat something that had eyeballs so I'm like, okay. but I mean, at the same right. time yeah, yeah 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 no but I'm super happy to see that and, and and hope to see more of it and but yeah it's interesting um And to the same kind of notion, I, so many people really swear by your recipes, repeat your recipes over and over. Like it's very popular to talk about your recipes on Twitter (laughs) and um, I, you know, what has kind of, you know, how do you, how do you create a recipe that this is, I guess, a silly question, but that works that like, that you people go back to, Um, I know you, you probably can't think of it that way when you're doing it, you have to think of it in the moment, like as just a job, a, a recipe, doing the best thing, but like, what, what do you think makes your recipes, you know, so repeatable for folks?
1: Well, I mean, you never know what recipe is going to hit. Like, you don't know what the recipe is that people are going to really love. Um, yeah. Because you just don't, it's like once yeah. someone asked one of my editors, well, how do you write a best-selling book? I'm like, well, I mean, if you we knew which book was going to be a bestseller, like yeah, we do it all the time. You do, know, you yeah. just don't know what, the world, you know, and it needs Mm -hmm. timing is so important, but what I do, what I do have in my control is I can test the heck out of my recipes. And I do, I really, I test and I test. Um, and that's all you can do as a food writer, as a recipe writer is just make sure your recipes work and then take care when you're writing the language. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that my weak point is, um, making sure all the ingredients get in. Like I often leave out, you know, like if I have a list of like 10 spices, I'll like leave one out in the description. Like, uh, ah, yeah. because I'm just <laughs> not. So I try to have someone back read for me. I mean, my editors at the Times are amazing. They do all the, you know, the back reading for cookbooks. I always make sure that I have a, you know, kick-ass copy editor who's working with me, who understands that like, I, I have this problem with like a lot <laughs> of ingredients and sometimes they don't make it in. So know your weak points, compensate yeah. for them, but then te- make sure that, the recipe itself is rock solid. And right. again, like I was saying before, I keep re- trying to rewrite the way or rethink the way I tell the directions. I write the directions so that it gets stronger and stronger and people right. understand and can have success.
0: Right. And
1: I mean, on the, the other side of that is
0: when a recipe goes viral because people think it's silly. <laughs> But yeah. that there would say it's leches cake, but I obviously I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But um, you know, how do you kind of do you think about it? Do you respond to it? Like, how does like when a when a recipe goes viral for the wrong reasons? What how do you respond to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I remember that well, so peak guacamole was the first one, of which, course. Um, <laughs> and that one wasn't even my recipe, I just reported on it. It was uh von yeah, yeah. Jean- <laughs> recipe, but um I was very I was totally surprised at the backlash and i didn't yeah. realize the times had the way they had tweeted it maybe was you know but um it, what, what that recipe really showed was that was the cusp of this changing moment where yeah. people were yeah. like you know what stop messing with our food and yeah and i understand and i have a yeah. lot of you know um personally i don't believe i believe in every no one owns a recipe recipe yeah. i don't yeah. own a recipe all mm-hmm. recipes whether they're classics or not you're allowed to do what you want because you you're eating the food. Um, however, as a food writer, I have a responsibility to tell the story. Yeah. Um, I think the problem with the Se leches cake was a couple of things. First of all, the photo <laughs> was not the most attractive photo and that was the original <laughs> backlash. Yeah. Um, and um, maybe I didn't tell the story well enough. You know, That was my fault. Maybe I didn't tell the story of what um, tres leches cake was well enough that when I adapted it, it had more narrative sense. And so that was my bad, but that is my responsibility is if I'm going to take an authentic recipe an authentic, what's authentic. If I'm going to take a recipe that is that people are passionate about and is dear to their culture, and I'm going to have my spin on it. I need to make sure to pay enough respect to what it is and what it, how I'm deviating from it. So that it's, it's a teaching moment and it's done with love and respect. Um, And, you know, if I fail, then, okay, then I fail. And then you just move on. Um, you know, I don't get that upset about it. It's like, yeah. it, cause it's just like, I also see it as like changing culture and we're part of that. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, when people attack me personally, yes, okay, and that just happens on Twitter. I kind of hate Twitter. I like, I stay with people.
0: <laughs> it sucks.
1: Yeah. They're much nicer <laughs> on Instagram, I must yeah. say. Like, Instagram people are much nicer. But I also can take the criticism and I can say, yeah. you know what? Yes, that was, I'm learning from that moment. Um, and I'll do it better. I'll really try to do it better next time. But that said, I will continue to, you know, change recipes that people love. And because I don't think there is one way to do something. There's as many ways as there are cooks. And, you know, I mean, you know, okay, let's just say like something Jewish, you know, from my culture, like a challah, like I am so like, or bagel, let's talk about rainbow bagels, right? Like that's (laughs) like the what? like to me, it's like, all right, really? But at the same time, I might personally think that that is the dumbest thing in the world, but Mm -hmm. you know what? People think it's cool and it, you know, it's, a, I also think it's okay. Like I personally can maybe say, raise an eyebrow, but I can also say, you know what, that's, it's out there and that's okay. <laughs> you
0: know,
1: for you, like how, you know, you're so, so, so deeply
0: tied to New York and, you know, how do you think that has affected your work and your writing and
1: and, and everything? Um, okay. So Brooklyn. Yeah. So yeah. I, mean, I grew up here, my family's here and they're really important to me. Um, I, you know, I mean, I love travel, um, and I think it's really important to see other places and talk to as many people as you can from other cultures and understand, um, I regret that I didn't, haven't lived in more places. I really, I really do regret that actually. I mean, I lived in France for a year when I went to school, Mm -hmm. I had like a, you know, junior year abroad, um, But I haven't lived anywhere. I mean, I haven't even lived in a in America in the kind of place where you drive to a mall. Right. <laughs> you know, like I don't have, that's not my experience. Right. I don't even, I barely drive. You know, it's like, I don't. So I have, in a way, it's like, I, I have a very small um, life. Because, it, it, But luckily New York City, it's like, if of you're going to be, it's, it, it's like, it's, it, it's a good place to have a small life because it's a big place. It's right. And there are so many people who you can, you know, connect with. And there are so many different, I mean, for me, it's like food, food, food. And there's so many, but there's also ideas. There's so many ideas right here. Right. And I can, and if I want to learn about something I can, Mm -hmm. Um, but I do regret, I mean, it is one of my big regrets and it's something that I hope to change. I mean, my daughter is 13 right now. The last thing I'm going to do is move her right before high (laughs) school. That is just not, but you know, my husband and I talk about it. Maybe when she goes to college, maybe that'll be a time for us to, and, you know, live somewhere else. Um, He would like that. I think. Um, but then you also think, I mean, and then I think about like climate change all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, where is the place, you know, that we would go. And yeah, so, but this is, these are conversations that I have in my head. I have with my husband. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I do wish that when I was younger, I had done what you had done and just like, oh, you know what, I need to get out and gotten out but I didn't, so I went to (laughs) Barnard, I went to Columbia,
0: I stayed, I just stayed. (laughs) No, I went to Fordham, so I'd like, yeah, I I was on a track to never leave, so I, and then all of a sudden. you for getting
1: out while you could, seriously. (laughs) But it's, it's no, it's, it's it's what I would tell people to do, if anyone asked me, I'd be like, yeah, just go, you know, and I hope, (laughs) I hope my daughter goes, I hope she goes somewhere, I don't know where she wants to go to college, but I hope it's somewhere. Yeah.
0: Right. But at the same time, you know, like you were saying, it, it's the best place to be to do what you do. You know, you you have access to everything and everyone. And 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 that's uh, and that shapes, obviously, how how you write recipes. And and it is interesting to think about the, how how broad an audience you have. But you and you talking about like, oh, you don't drive you to the mall like you don't have that experience, but still you're able to communicate with the people who have to do that, you know, <laughs> who are driving to a huge supermarket and that sort of thing, um, which is, which is interesting. I mean, does that factor into how you write recipes, like considering how, how much access people have to
1: ingredients? Yeah, for sure. I think about that a lot. Um, and I think about, I mean, I really, that's, I mean, that's part of what I get from the notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people have access to so many things right now. So, if they just open yes. online. I mean, but think about it 10 years ago when we didn't, you know, and we weren't male, we weren't like having things sent to us left and right. And I was very aware back then of what people could get and what they couldn't get. Um, And as things started to become more present in stores, I would start to incorporate them into my recipes. But you know, I am always try, careful to give substitutions. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want you look driving all around looking for an ingredient for dinner. It's like, no, no just, <laughs> just get what you have and then figure out how to use it in the best possible way. So I'm sensitive to that, even though that wasn't my experience. I mean, yeah, I'm really lucky. I can go, I can like within a one mile radius of my house or, you know, maybe two miles um, and run within running distance. Cause sometimes <laughs> I'll go running for ingredients. I'll like put my <laughs> like, oh, I need, you know, malt syrup, and I can get it in a mile, and I'll run and get it. <laughs> that's fun. Like, yeah. that's part of the, the, the quest of buy, finding the ingredient, or I'll need something, Um, I'll need, like, avocado leaves for something, if I'm making something Mexican, and you know, it's, like, you can't, I have to, like, run to Sunset Park, and then I'll get, and that's, and then I'm, like, in this whole other place, and I'm, like, then I'll spend an hour in the market looking at everything, <laughs> bringing everything home, and, but not everybody is, able to do that. And I know right. that I'm lucky. And I also know that that is not the universal experience. So if I write about it, I need to write about it in a very particular way so that it doesn't assume anything. Yeah. For anyone. Which I think <laughs> is well, in general, like a good thing to do. Yes. It's a very
0: good thing. <laughs> well, for you is cooking a political act.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, you know, we talked about sustainability and and the environment. And to me, um, it is obviously it's completely tied up with politics right now. And what can we do? What can we do to change this? And that is what so it's a political act when I cook. It's a political act when I write about it. It's not obviously political, but I'm working to make a change. You know, I really care about it. I want people to I want people to cook fresh foods. I don't want them to, to you know buy, support the corporate giant. I want them to buy fresh foods and cook something delicious and feed their family. And that is political. Um, and you know the, the smallest differences that we can make add up. Right.
0: Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time today. This was great.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. I wish I could, I wish I got to talk to you about you more. <laughs>